This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Hey, good Thursday afternoon, everyone. Not Linda Swain, uh, Brian Callahan in for Linda this afternoon, as I am uh, occasionally called on to do. And uh, love nothing more than to fill in for Linda. Um, when she's unable to do so and uh, always up to her neck with different stuff um, and uh, yeah so I'm in for Linda today I don't know what tomorrow will bring who knows but compared to yesterday temperature wise today felt downright balmy downtown anyway um, I'm told there may be another little arctic blast next week but no sense worrying about that till then if it happens at all so what's all the news today certainly started out with a bang not to make light of it but it was a bad crash, of course, again this morning on the Outer Ring Road um, near the Team Guju exit there. We now know a uh, 33-year-old man has been charged with impaired driving in that crash. Happened just after 8 a.m. in the morning, mind you. So uh, not that there's ever a good or right time to drink and drive. Obviously, never. But boys, oh, boys, I, I don't travel on that stretch of roadway if I don't have to. And thank God I usually don't. Although I understand many have no choice, you know, depending on what uh, part of town you're coming from. But personally, I leave extra earlier these days. It's just too, I don't know, um, maybe I've been driving too long or as you get older, you get more cynical. But the driving is just off the charts um, and off the rules, off the road, literally. Um, I leave extra early, take a route to the middle of the city, includes just two traffic lights and very little traffic itself, all in the interests of, you know, increasing my mortality and lifespan. Um, given your odds on the OR, uh, ORR, as we call it, because you just never know. You could be the safest driver on the planet and still be in the wrong place at the wrong time, such as this morning when this pickup, apparently after colliding, um, uh, rear-ending the vehicle in front of him, ended up across the medium and into the other lanes on the other side. And what do you do, especially with that much traffic on the road in rush hour? You don't have many places to go, and at that speed, so it's just all a recipe for disaster in a perfect storm so i mean if i don't have to be up there i'm not and speaking of distracted if that wasn't enough people are wild by so whether or not just out of ignorance for the law or whatever the rnc ended up stopping and ticketing people at that scene this morning for taking pictures and video literally you know coasting through and you know the idea there coasting through is to be more careful because lanes are reduced or if not eliminated altogether and you have police everywhere trying to direct traffic through, make sure, you know, I mean, we all have heard the stories of people directing traffic or even just uh, workers on the road getting struck uh, at accident scenes. And I don't need to go back too far into history where that has happened, fatally, no, uh, no, no less. And so um, here they were, police everywhere this morning, you know, directing traffic and lo and behold, people with their cell phones out as they're driving through, taking pictures and videos. And at least three were pulled over, we're told by the RNC and ticketed. Um, but I tell you, you're brazen to say the least. Um, and then not to mention, you know, um, just the overall aspect of speeding up on the outer ring road and lane changing and no lights, no driving lights I, uh, or just your driving lights. But forgetting just to turn your actual lights on this time of year, this time of day, it's just and not even this time of day. In the mornings, it can be pretty dark depending on the weather. So turn your lights on, slow down. And if you're like me, do what you can to avoid the outer ring because uh, what is it we used to call it? The outer, um, there was the, the outer bond in, gen, in, uh, in Germany. So we used to call it the outer ring was the outer bond. 
that was uh, a few years ago when it was first um, completed and we talked about what drivers would be like and lo and behold we everybody was right but I digress you want to weigh in on that this is a call-in show so you know if you want to weigh in on drivers in general in this city in the province same numbers as open line, 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-VOCM. That's 8626-VOCM um, part. So uh, we'll take calls on that. And we'd love to have a call from MP Ken McDonald, the Liberal MP for Avalon. Uh, Ken, if you're listening, we're all over it. If you've got a few minutes to spare, 709-273-5211. There's the number. That goes for anyone else for that matter. Uh, but not having much luck reaching Ken the last couple of days, and it's not for lack of trying. Um, Linda, of course, speaking of Linda Swain, um, she spent a good part of yesterday trying to track him down. He's usually quite accessible and available for comment on various issues up along um, as the member uh, representing uh, Avalon in Ottawa may have something to do with comments he made in an interview with Radio Canada reporter this week regarding his boss, the Prime Minister, and uh, certainly made headlines um, when he suggested, and never really suggested, he said uh, it is, a leadership review was necessary, that there should be one, even though today he's been walking it back. And I'll just give you, for the record, here's the exchange between the reporter. As the, um, the Radio Canada reporter said, do you, th- you think at least there should be a leadership review in the Liberal Party? Yes, answered Mr. McDonald. Let's clear the air. Let's clear the air. And if people are still intent on having the leader we have now, fine. But at least give people the opportunity to have their say in what they think of the direction the party is going. So that's a direct quote. And so the reporter just made it clear. So asked again. So it's not clear for you right now whether Justin Trudeau is the right leader for the Liberal Party. And Mr. McDonald responded, no, it's not clear. So that interview was published this week, earlier this week. We sent several messages yesterday, as I mentioned, uh, to Mr. McDonald asking for a little explanation. No response, strange, which is rare, but um, because he usually gets back to us, uh, to give him an opportunity to clarify, um, and which really amounts to a change of tune here overnight. So he denied saying what he stated in the review. Now he says, quote, the intent of my recent public comments was not to personally call for a leadership review, and I'm not calling for one now. Well... Could have fooled me. Um, as I said, Mr. McConnell, Mr. McDonald continues, I believe that the Prime Minister is a smart politician, a great campaigner, and I know he still has the best interests of Canadians at heart. Uh, I will continue to support my caucus colleagues and the Prime Minister as I've done since 2015. Well, not necessarily, because back in just the fall, Mr. McDonald was the only member of the Liberal of the Liberals, the Bloc or the NDP, to, you know, side with Conservative leader Pierre Polyev on scrapping all carbon taxes. So uh, that sounds like he um, didn't support the Prime Minister there. So uh, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, again, we've reached out. We just want some clarification because uh, we have official quotes, and, uh, and these are quotes from Mr. McDonald that seem to um, certainly clash with each other in uh, just within 24 to 36 hours. So um, there's that in the news today. And there's also news I hear that Boeing has been cleared now to put their um, 737 Maxes back in the air by as early as this weekend. If you're flying and you happen to find yourself getting on one of these, uh, they have the all clear to do so. Um, of course, that comes back to the plug or that uh, sort of back door of the aircraft, the Alaskan Airlines that flew off and somehow miraculously uh, nobody seriously injured in that. 
Uh, so Boeing's continue, Boeing's issues continue, but uh, they've been cleared now with the 730 MAX, 737 MAX. And one last thing on the local front, and this is no small thing at all, you may have heard today, we all know the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Folk Festival has grown in size and reputation over the years, but um, there was any question whether it's, if there was any question whether it's arrived on the international scene, look no further than the headliner, who was announced today, if you haven't already heard, None other than the queen of country rock fusion of music, Emmy Lou Harris. If you haven't heard, yes, you heard it right. Emmy Lou Harris is headlining the 48th edition of the Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Festival this summer in Bannerman Park. The exact date, July 13th, and we're told there's no date yet to buy tickets, but early bird tickets will go on sale soon, we're told. So you'll have to keep your ears peeled for that. Uh, Emmy Lou Harris in downtown St. John's in Bannerman Park. That's going to be something else. Just her presence. 76 years old now, still going strong. Um, she's played, recorded with everyone. Uh, so there you go. Um, if you've been a casual uh, attendee of the Folk Festival, you know, when it fits your schedule and summer schedules, some are here, some are away. If that fits your schedule, that's going to be something else. Anyway, uh, on to the news of the day. Just thought I'd throw that stuff at you. When we come back from the break, um, today we had an, another accord. We love our accords here in this province, from the, uh, the Atlantic Accord to, I don't know about you, but the number of Honda Accords on my street alone. Uh, somebody likes a lot of accords, and apparently so does the education minister, because she announced one today strictly with, um, you have the health accord, now we have an education accord. We'll hear more about that right after the break. Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain today on News Talk. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Brian Callahan here with you today. As mentioned just before the break, uh, the provincial government today, uh, specifically Education Minister Crystalline Howell, announced the creation of Education Accord NL. That sounds familiar? Well, it's quite similar to the Health Accord NL and basically the same kind of long uh, for long-seeing uh, view and review and review. Uh, of our education system and where it's all going, approach to transforming and modernizing the province's education system. Uh, Minister Howell was joined today by, uh, let's see, Dr. Ann Burke and Dr. Karen Goodnow um, at Confederation Building for the announcement. And our own Richard Duggan was in the house for that, and he was kind enough. God love Richard Duggan. Uh, busy man today, but uh, he was kind enough to bring us back some tape of uh, the minister and, of course, her, um, the uh, two officials with her at her side. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. We're certainly pleased to be here to talk about the launch of our Education Accord. And I'm joined by Dr. Ann Burke and Dr. Karen Goodenow, who will be the chairs of this committee. Uh, and they will be doing the large portion of informing us uh, in terms of our education accord here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So we're at a very pivotal time, we feel, here in this province in terms of education. And it's a time where we want to take a step forward in modernizing and transforming education. So we've got some, some big plans and some lofty goals for these ladies, but uh, know that they're up for the challenge and certainly believe that the people in the sector are also equally as excited 
excited to be part of changing and transforming for the betterment of our students, of our educators, and of the province as a whole. So we're looking at the entirety of our system here. We're starting out in our early learning space. We want to uh, capture our learning, early learners and childhood development, moving into our K-12 system and how we transform that and continue to engage learners in our K-12 system. And then into our post-secondary realm. And we want to continue learning across the lifespan. So how is that applicable to all learners in Newfoundland and Labrador? And we want to do that with an overlay of health and well-being in an educational environment. So we're looking forward to the information that will be garnered. I'm sure these folks will have plenty of engagement sessions. We're building on some of the way that the health accord was developed and the feedback that was acquired through that process, which largely informed the work that we're doing in that sector. And we want to continue to build on that in the education sector. So thank you so much for joining us. I'll give each of these two an opportunity to speak, and uh, we'll take some questions thereafter. Hi, uh, Karen Goodnow. I'm very excited about this opportunity to focus on all levels of education in the school, in the school system and post-secondary. Um, I just want to speak for a moment on engagement. We've got a lot of documents and a lot of reports that have been generated in the past. And we've utilized that information and we've acted on it. But this is an ideal opportunity now for us to take all that information and work with the many partners and stakeholders in education and to use, utilize that information to further economic and social goals. Uh, and I just want to say for a moment, engagement. It's different than consultation. Engagement is taking two groups, individuals, uh, discussion and coming away with a shared understanding. So this is a big task. We, we recognize that, but it's about creating a shared vision for K-12, post-secondary, formal learning, and informal learning. It's very exciting, extremely exciting. Thank you, Karen. Um, I guess I just want to say that I think that we're ready as a society to begin to consider what has to happen for learners here in our province. There's been a lot of change globally. And I think that we now, with the Health Accord now being completed and being implemented, it really has pointed to a number of factors that are really important. Social, well-being, children's health, what's going on in their homes, and how that can be supported as well as part of the classroom as well as the school. So I'm really looking forward to change. I'm looking forward to changes that will make a difference for our province because we know the better educated our children are, uh, the better skills that we have students uh, learning and engaging, then better economically for us. So it really is a global initiative, and I think it will make a huge change. I really do, and I'm very excited. That is uh, Dr. Karen Goodnow and before her, Dr. Ann Burke, who are co-chairs of the Education Accord NL, of course, which was announced today, this morning at uh, Confederation Building. Of course, it's uh, aimed to develop targeted approach, they say, to transforming and modernizing Newfoundland Labrador's education system, much like the Health Accord is supposed to do for the health system. Uh, and, of course, these are long-term fixes, so uh, over time we'll see how that all works out. Um, going back to just before the break, and uh, we're very fortunate now to be joined by the artistic director and festi for festival programming as well at the Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Arts uh, Society and with the Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Festival this summer. Um, I can't wait. Mary Beth Waldrum, are you there? 
I'm here. Hello. Thanks so much for being available on very short notice. I can imagine you're in a bit of demand this afternoon after the announcement this afternoon, and I sort of already gave it away, but uh, I'll let you tell our listeners who's headlining the Folk Festival this summer. Yeah, thank you so much for calling. Uh, we're really excited to announce Emmy Lou Harris as our headliner this year. I still, okay, I'm just going to let that breathe for a second. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as country rock, which I grew up all around, uh, it doesn't get any bigger. Um, I, I, just tell me, it's quite a coup. How did you get her? Uh, I mean, I just sent the email. I mean, I've been a part of... Uh, Don't tell me it was that simple. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that simple, but I've been a part of the Folk Festival for a long time. Uh, sat on the programming committee before there was an artistic director for a long time, and her name has always come up. Hmm. So it's always kind of been um, in the back of my mind. Uh, so not that it was that easy, but it really just took an email to be like, is this artist available? Uh, and kind of went from there. Yeah, is it, you know, I mean, with other, you know, uh, large events, festivals, that sort of thing, sometimes the reputation of an event can, can lure them, uh, lure someone themselves, of course, the bigger the event. And, of course, the folk festival has just grown leaps and bounds over the years. Um, and, you know, we all know our own amazing, famous talent. But uh, how much of it a cool one when you got the, the, the confirmation uh, there must have been just a little bit of excitement around the office. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was telling someone to about it. I was actually at like um, a Christmas party with a bunch of friends, and uh, it was like Friday night at 10 p.m. And the email came in, and obviously no one I could really tell, uh, <laughs> including I us, just, like escaped into someone. I don't like I didn't really even know the people at the party and ran into someone's bedroom and uh, called the executive director. And then from there, we all kind of like equally got excited about it. But, yeah, it was like, I don't know, 10, 11 p.m. on a Friday night during Christmas Jeez. holidays. You never know when the call's going to come. It must have yeah, been exactly. it's almost like a, you're like a contestant on Jeopardy. You got to keep it under your hat until it actually the time comes where you can say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of exactly what it is. Um, I mean, it's nice that, you know, there's a team of people so we can be excited together. It's not just, you know, yeah. me or one other person with this with this thing under the hat. But, yeah, it's, it's a team, so we all kind of get to be excited about it together, which is nice. So have we spoken, have you spoken, has anyone spoken to her herself, you know, just about, um, you know, her hopes, her dreams, her ex expectations for this festival? No, not yet. That okay. uh, that hasn't happened yet. That normally stuff like that happens closer to the festival, sure. but that hasn't happened quite yet. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, how do you get an Emmy Lou Harris to a festival? I mean, does it take a certain amount of financial, you know, incentive, or was it, do we know? You know, is it the reputation itself that it was like? Oh, of course, I've got to go there. I mean, I think it's just asking. Like, uh, I mean, any artist is very different in why they would come to our festival. Like, some people uh, have heard of Newfoundland and understand that it's kind of like you know at the edge of the world, uh, sort of speak, and that entices an artist. But every artist is different, um, and um, so it's kind of just you know you send that email, you you. Mm cross your fingers and you hope and then it's either a yes or it's a no and uh we got really lucky this year that it's a yes so any other uh, hints or tips or who else might be uh you know in the offing can you tip your hat to anything else now that the big cat is out of the bag uh, the big cat is out of the bag, but there is another uh, incredibly large headliner also coming that's actually going to be direct support for Emmylou Harris. 
Um, that will be dropping close to when early bird tickets go on sale, which is February 15th. Oh, there's um, the date, so February 15th. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So we're slowly going to be leaking out headliners, but the full, full lineup will come out April 10th. And that will be day passes as well. And the remainder of the different ticket types will be on sale then. So you're saying the next one, uh, this other large, uh, incredibly big, could rival <laughs> Emilio Harris? Uh, Maybe not rival in my opinion, but also uh, some people might fight me on that quote. Uh, I'm a big Evelyn Harris fan, so uh, that's my personal opinion. Um, But uh, it will definitely be uh, quite big as well. Mary Beth Waldrum, thanks for doing this on short notice, as I mentioned earlier. Great news. Um, You know, I think back to some of the hard times we've had with the Folk Festival in the last few years. Um, Not to dwell on that, but this is great news. And uh, all the best. Good luck with it. Uh, Weather, weather, weather. Let's all pray. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. That's Mary Beth Waldrum, the uh, Artistic Director, of course, and Director of Festival Programming with the Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Festival. There you have it. Emmy Lou Harris coming to town. Um, July 13th is the date. Uh, for uh, her performance in the park. Um, Again, February the 15th is the first uh, shot at tickets, the early bird tickets for for the festival this year. So I know it's an outdoor venue in the park and that sort of thing, but uh, I don't suspect those tickets will last very long. Uh, Just coming up to news time uh, with Sarah Strickland. uh, I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk today. Uh, Lots still to come in the next half hour. We'll be right back after the news. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Second half, uh, Thursday afternoon, in the home stretch for the weekend. And just before the break, of course, we uh, heard a little about Emily Harris coming to town at the Folk Festival this summer. But before that, of course, We heard um, the education minister talking about the new education accord, which affects no few people in this province, mind you. I don't make light of it too much, but uh, it's just the whole of accord thing. Um, These announcements, you know, unfortunately for people, people want immediate results and these things are more review-like and take some time. Uh, Monsu, of course, has a direct uh, interest in this accord and what it might mean for post-secondary and John Harris, who is the Director of External Affairs with Monsu, the Memorial University Student Union, uh, had a few things to say following the announcement this morning. So I guess tell us, um, you know, what you think, uh, I guess your initial reaction to hearing that they're going to be reviewing, I guess, education and not only K-12 but also post-secondary education. Well, in terms of the education accord, I mean, we don't need a year-long study to tell us that this government has made uh, education unaccessible for post-secondary students. Uh, we've seen a, a doubling of tuition, which is going to have you know outrageous impacts on on pe- uh, people's ability to get a post-secondary education in this province. I think uh, you know I'd love to see more focus on how that has been affected uh, affecting students in this province. You, you know, we're already seeing a drop in enrollment. Uh, we're, we're we're seeing a university that's struggling to stay on its feet. Uh, I think that uh, we'd love to hear more from the plans on how they're going to consult students and how they've been affected in terms of the doubling of tuition and the cuts to Memorial. So when they are talking to stakeholders and, and when you get the chance to speak with the two doctors here um, as part of this, um, you know, what are some of the things that you hope to you know, share with them about post-secondary education? Well, this, this, this education accord has a, a huge emphasis on health outcomes 
outcomes. And it's proven time and time again that post-secondary education is extremely important when it comes to these social outcomes. Making that inaccessible leads to worse outcomes for the province. I think if we're trying to have a, a healthy province by 2031, like the press release says, I think we need to be, have the emphasis on making post-secondary education accessible. This government has done the opposite of that by cutting the funding to the university by 67.8 million. Uh, it's been, been disastrous for the university. We've seen a doubling of tuition. We're seeing students being priced out of post-secondary, and I'd love to see that being addressed by this health, uh, this education accord. Are you hopeful that you will see these things from the education accord? Because it was pointed out about you know the health uh, report that had been done by Dwight Ball um, when he was, uh, I guess, premier, and so now we're looking at the. T- you know, that we haven't seen all the results from that, and now we're looking at another, you know, review or report. So do you feel hopeful about this one, or what are your thoughts in that regard? I think you can have as many reports as you want, but the fact is this government has made post-secondary education inaccessible for the students of this province. It's, it, we've seen a doubling of tuition, which is pricing students out in this province. Uh, we're we're going to have worse outcomes because of this. We Anybody could tell you that uh, doubling tuition is going to have less enrollment. We've already seen less enrollment. We're going to see less people with the degrees from Memorial. I think that's a bad thing. I think we're going to have bad outcomes, and we don't need a, a report to tell us this. That is John Harris, the uh, Director of External Affairs with Monsu Memorial University's Students Union. Once again, the uh, government announcing today the creation of the Education Accord NL. Um, it's supposed to be, it'll be co-chaired by Dr. Ann Burke and Dr. Karen Goodnow, develop a targeted approach to transforming and modernizing the province's education system. They say the, uh, it's dedicated to supporting a modern educational experience for all students, uh, to reimagine the system here, to ensure students and learners, learners at all levels receive the educational services they need. Uh, make them prepared for the global economy. I don't want to say yada, 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 because that makes it uh, belittles it a bit. But um, just reading a few notes here from the government's news release today. The Accord, though, however, it does, they say, aims to um, better the outcomes with the goal of becoming Canada's healthiest provinces, one of Canada's healthiest provinces, educational-wise and otherwise, by 2031. So there you go. We'll have, I'm sure we'll hear more reaction from that in the coming days. And speaking of reaction, the uh, opposition leader, Tony Wakeham, called reporters together earlier today for um, a little update. And it's, it's funny, he, he wanted to talk a little bit about the um, uh, Association of Allied Health Professionals and the sort of stalemate there between government and AAHP. Uh, he got into a bit of that, but also touched on a little bit, of course, the ride-sharing uh, snafu, apparently, that happened this week or, la- or late last week and early this week regarding the first ride-sharing license in the province. So here's a little bit of Tony Wakem, the opposition leader, meeting with reporters earlier today. I spoke with the president of the AHP again this morning and asked him for an update on where talks, what had happened in the last week. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he hasn't heard anything from government. Nobody has responded to him. And I find that very disappointing and disheartening. I mean, these are very highly skilled, highly valuable members of our healthcare system, and, and they need the respect that they deserve. And I would have thought by now that the premier or the minister would have gotten back and invited them back in and uh, to the bargaining table and to, to have those discussions and continue to have those discussions. You know, I think cha- part of the challenge here is the fact that, you know, the respect that they're 
not getting uh, for their profession. And, we, and uh, you know, I want to I read you a quote from uh, uh, one of the workers that I met as I've traveled throughout the district of Conception Bay, East Bell Island during this by-election. And this says, and this was a quote that they were before a review panel for their RFP for their review of their job description. And this was a quote that the analyst said to this individual worker. It said, blindness is a rare occurrence and therefore has no significant impact on the healthcare system. In turn, your job has little impact on the system. Now that's a very, powerful statement to be made to a worker who has devoted their life to helping the people in Newfoundland and Labrador and is a reflection of the disrespect that members of the AHP feel that the government is putting towards them and their jobs that they do. And so when the Minister of Finance responds by saying something to the effect of if you do go on strike there will be others who can do the work. That again shows disrespect for the AHP and their union. And again, I call on government to invite the president back, to invite the AHP bargaining unit back, get the premier needs to invite them back, and let's get this process started, let's get this moving. Surely, they simply want equal pay for equal work. And in 2024, is that too much to ask? Yeah, that's, that's part of the whole problem. You're absolutely right here. That is part of the problem, that there are different pay steps and, and pay grids, and it needs to be adjusted. And that's, the minister again alluded to that, but made no firm commitment. Absolutely. Um, I know that the system was created during the administration. Do you feel like you're part of some responsibility? Well, anytime you put in a system, it shouldn't be that you simply turn around and say, that's it, we're done. Anytime you introduce a system, then you have to expect that things need to change and need to adjust. For example, are the job descriptions that were originally placed, are they still appropriate right now? Because things change. We all know that things change. So I think we need a complete review of that system. And if, if you could go back in time, what would you do? Well, again, I would have looked at how does the job description, how does the actual job description match up with the work that they actually do. I think that's step one. But I understand now that they're using job descriptions that are 10 years old and using them for current evaluation of the jobs. And obviously that's a problem. Do you think there should be just one well, I think that depends upon each job is different and each job requires a further review. And that's the type of analysis that should be done and ought to be done. Uh, just recently, government's announced this uh, education accord. What's the PC Party's reaction to this? Well, again, I haven't seen any details around it yet, and I'm looking forward to hearing what it's all about. But once again, this government has a tendency of turning around and making announcements uh, without much substance behind them. So we'll look forward to it and seeing what it has to take, and we'll obviously speak about that very soon. Do you have any concerns about what happened with the rideshare application process? Yes, it was a total disaster. I mean, how does somebody who is an alleged sex offender get an application or get a license to do a ride sharing. How did that even happen? 
And, you know, we stood in the House of Assembly when we were passing legislation. Our critic, Jody Wall, stood up, asked a series of questions, and we were dismissive at all points. And here we have find out now through investigative journalism that the, actually at the end of the day, this, this was a problem, that we actually had somebody who was accused uh, and of sexual offenses now having a ride-sharing license. And we also understand now why the news conference that the minister had scheduled was suddenly canceled. And uh, that's exactly what happened. And the only defense that they've come out with is simply to say they followed process. Well, I would suggest to you, if that's the process, they, then they need to be, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be adjusted. Here we are almost a week later and we still haven't heard from Minister Sarah Studley. Do you think that's good enough? No, totally. I think the minister owes an explanation to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador on exactly how this type of mistake could happen. Imagine if this had not been picked up. Would we have had that news conference? Would we now have issued, you know, would we have that service in place? This is simply a lack of due process, due diligence on behalf of the minister and her department and government. And again, when they issue a statement simply saying that we followed process, then clearly that process needs to change. There's more applications coming, more companies expected to enter this sector. Uh, with the process that's in place, how do you think that will affect confidence in this new emerging sector? I think they've done a disservice to anybody who's interested in providing that type of uh, service to the province of Newfoundland and Labrador because uh, this cloud is now hanging over because of an incompetence on behalf of the minister and her department to get it done right. And as a result of that now, we're going to have people second-guessing an entire service that may or may not be beneficial to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. So what do you think should be the consequence of that? Well, I think right off the bat we need an explanation. How did this happen? You know, we're sitting here today when, when I think of other uh, retired teachers, for example, who want to come back into the workforce, have to get a letter of conduct, code of conduct letter, and all of these things. How did this even happen? It's unimaginable that it could have happened. And the fact of the matter is, and what's even more, uh, I guess, scary is the fact that if it hadn't been picked up by the media, would we have known about it? So clearly the minister needs to be held accountable and should be standing where I am right now, talking to you about what happened. So there seems to be a couple of things at play here. One is that it, it appears that the only uh, mandated checks are on drivers, not on operators. And then the other one might be that uh, they are only required a criminal record check and not a vulnerable sector check, which looks a little bit deeper. Are there any other things that you would, uh, anything that you would change about, about the regulations? Well, I think, I think you've just hit on a couple of the key points here, and that is the, the total analysis. When somebody's applying for a new service like that, that involves the public and vulnerable populations and people like it in a public transportation system, then what government needs to do a due diligence, and it needs to be make sure that it's simply not rushing to make another announcement, but is rather investigating and make sure that all the, all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted, for lack of a better word. But that's exactly what should have happened, not simply to rely on uh, just the screening of the drivers. And that is the uh, PC opposition leader, newly minted, Tony Wakeham, uh, responding to a couple of issues there. Of course, the uh, sort of impasse between the provincial government and AAHP, the Association of Allied Health Professionals, who do a lot of important things within our healthcare system, no question about that. And of course, the controversy now over the ride share and the first license that was awarded uh, last week, and then on the same day, suspended. After revelations here from VOCM News that uh, the owner of Red Sea Riding was facing criminal charges, sexual assault charges. 
So um, lots to talk on, lots to chew on. Uh, again, we always take calls here on this show. So uh, same numbers as open line, 709-273-5211, 1-888-590-VOCM or 8626. And uh, while you're pondering that, we'll take a break. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talk. We'll be right back. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. So um, the port town of Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, of course, announced this week that they're, you know, moving towards sustainable practices, environmental stewardship, as they like to call it, and um, basically going greener, uh, the town's commitment to climate change uh, and their their own climate change adaptation and mitigation plan. And this really, uh, this announcement involves vehicles mostly um, and contributions toward it. So uh, we're talking six uh, new electric vehicles and um, Two Ford F-150 Lightning pickup trucks will be a part of that. Six EVs, uh, plus, uh, um, and that's all going to mark the next phase in meeting the town's climate change. It's going to cost about $500,000 in total. However, uh, 80% of that is coming from the Federation of uh, the FCM, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. And the total cost of the EVs in the town of Portugal, Cove St. Phillips, contributing 18% in cash and there's a four percent remuneration um but in the end you know it's, it'll probably the town says it'll it, you know their contribution will amount to what it would for probably one of these large trucks uh, gas or diesel trucks but rather than have me explain it here's uh, jody murray she's um of course with the town of portugal coast st phillips chief administrative officer with the town and she spoke just a little earlier and explained it all to our very own sarah strickland well, this is uh, one of our uh, many projects that have been uh, identified in our uh, town climate change adaptation and mitigation plan. And um, so one of many exciting um, initiatives to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, council um, adopted a resolution back in uh, February of 2021 uh, with the goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions to 20% below 2018 levels by 2030 and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions um, in the community, sorry, uh, to 6%. I'm going to just say that again, just so you know. The, the re- resolution is committing to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions by 20% below 2018 levels for municipal operations by 2030 and to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions to 6% below 2018 levels um, in the community by 2030. So uh, how many vehicles are we talking and what kind? So we are looking at six electric vehicles, four Ford 150 Lightning pickup trucks and two Volkswagen ID4 SUVs. Um, we currently just got our third um, Lightning pickup truck delivered, I think, today. Uh, and so the remaining truck and two uh, Volkswagens are um, hopeful to be delivered before the end of 2024. So is this to replace some of the fleet or is this just an expansion? No, as part of the uh, funding uh, project through the Federation of Municipalities, uh, Green Municipal Fund, uh, we actually had to uh, replace our existing fleet. So we had vehicles that were already identified that needed replacing through our um, internal uh, light duty uh, replacement policy. And so we're basically um, just rebuilding our fleet with electric vehicles right now. So what is the cost associated here? 
So it's um, through, it's a great uh, cost share with the funding partner, again, a Federation of Canadian Municipalities Green Municipal Fund, uh, in collaboration with Fundamental Inc., who determined uh, that this funding was an ideal fit for both the town's vehicle replacement needs and the environmental reduction initiatives by the town. So we, uh, the total cost of the project is 456800 uh, with FCM contributing 80% of the total cost. Um, again, I'm going to repeat that just so I <laughs> total project cost of 456800 uh, FCM is contributing 80% of the total cost of the EVs, and the town's portion is 16% at 73600 uh, in cash and 4% in remuneration. So the town's small upfront investment is less than the replacement of a gas vehicle. So we're going to save an estimate of $5,500 per year in fuel, and that's going to prevent over 25 tons of greenhouse gas emissions per year. So I think that's a really important statement to make with respect to our small upfront investment, because I know uh, there are some uh, there were some concerns in the community uh, for the cost um, associated, uh, you know, with this environmental initiative and it being a priority for the town. Uh, One of the town's priorities is protecting and repairing uh, the environment. So we see this as an ideal way of doing this with little upfront cost to the town um, for uh, $73,600 to get six electric vehicles. What about the infrastructure to charge these vehicles? Is that going to be available to the public? Because I know Canada is talking about moving to all electric vehicles by 2035. So uh, is that infrastructure going to be available to the public as well? No, so we are um, installing up to six um, charging stations. They are level two. It will not be for the public, so they're the slower charge. Uh, town trucks will be um, plugged in overnight for use in the day. And part of our um, climate initiative is actually going to be to uh, monitor um, our electricity with respect to what it's costing us to uh, charge uh, six electric vehicles. It's part of the project um, monitoring going forward, as well as, uh, you know, uh, doing the calculations on emissions, uh, you know, monitoring as we progress in the coming years. The town has a climate change action plan. So what are some of the other goals and initiatives that the town is working on? Uh, So um, we've recently um, uh, included an idling reduction program, so encouraging um, businesses and residents throughout the community, uh, educating them on idling reduction and uh, trying to engage businesses in becoming a part of that program, uh, as well as, you know, putting up signs around the community in front of the town hall that there are no idle zones. Uh, We have a a composting program, curbside recycling program, new UV touchless systems for both wastewater treatment plants. Um, And uh, we had the um, town hall recently uh, one of the last buildings that was on fossil fuels, and we converted that to heat pumps and electricity in 2023 as well uh, to address the Climate Change Challenge Fund. And that is Joyce, uh, sorry, Jody Murray. She was, uh, of course, longtime Chief Administration Officer, Chief Administrative Officer with the town of Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. There, I can get all that out. And speaking with, of course, VOCM Sarah Strickland. Just enough time here to wrap it up for the afternoon for this Thursday edition of News Talk. Wow, that was an hour, Claudette.
Uh, that just flew. Um, only thing to do now is try to figure out what to do for supper. I didn't plan it. Normally, I'm planned well ahead. Oh, yeah. You cooking tonight or takeout? Uh, no, or what you well, it's my nephew's birthday, and they're having pizza. pizza ah. Which What's I the address? cannot turn down pizza. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say the address? Oh, uh, <laughs> Where am I going? Basque. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going cross <laughs> island tonight. No, sorry. All right. Well, uh, in any event, uh, if you are going anywhere, let alone cross island, drive safely, arrive alive. The OCM cares.